Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage, connect and inspire missional people. Welcome to the Venture 12 Podcast Season 2, uh, episode number 5. Um, it's me, Chris, today, uh, together here with Hannah. Yeah, hey. Hey, and uh, welcome everybody to our living room. Yes. Yeah, that's our recording studio for the day. It's been a bit mobile, we've been a bit all over the place, um, but uh, I should probably explain as well. We're married. Yeah. That's why we have <laughs> a shared living room. Yeah. We're not roommates. That's often the reason. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm a bit tired. Mm. I do my last day at work tomorrow, going on You're maternity quitting. leave. All oh, right, yeah. maternity no, leave. Not that dramatic. <laughs> going on maternity leave. Yeah, we're expecting a second child. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's it's the same all around the world, but particularly in Sweden, where we are in a cold country, and viruses get passed around. Our eldest son is hit a sickness at exactly the wrong time uh, and giving it to you so just as we're waiting now for literally any second <laughs> baby Hopefully to come. Hopefully not during the yeah. podcast. Oh I mean that would surely go viral. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah he's, he's hit a sickness at the wrong time so uh, late nights and little sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah but anyway we're doing all right and that's a pretty good segue isn't it into the um guests for today talking about yeah. new life yeah um, we, we are going to talk about micro churches within the Tampa underground network but more specifically one micro church that Vanessa Power and Jessica Beckton Stevens is part of leading called Held which is a micro church that supports women through their pregnancies and birth wow they train doulas so they help these women yeah. in labor and uh, they explain what a doula is as well they will explain right, yeah. that very it's, well it was a new it was a new word for me yeah um so it's quite good for me my last day at work yeah doing a podcast yeah. about childbirth yeah it's relevant yeah. um and uh you've just touched on it there and they go into a little bit about micro churches and what that is and what the structure is and, and everything but like you said it's kind of like these independent communities that all have a really clear mission throughout the city of tampa yeah. Um, that are connected kind of by a central hub that is there to resource and equip them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they can look really different and really exciting, um, such as Held. And so we're looking forward to giving you this interview soon. Yeah. Um, Do you recommend we- people to go onto their website, to Tampa Underground Network, and read about their different microchurches? Yeah. It's very inspiring. Yeah. And there's also uh, books and video material as well. Um, yeah. So if you would want to read something more about... I would say maybe the the structure and the vision behind Tampa Underground. You could read a book from Brian Sanders called Underground Church. Mm-hmm. And we do really recommend that. People say, some people say it's the era of the microchurch. Yeah. Um, and that could be worth looking into. Yeah. Well, look, before we present that interview to you, um, we have had some contact with an Englishman which is what we asked for actually we said that uh, if no one contacted it was going to have to be my mum so uh, I owe this guy uh, some gratitude (laughs) to save me from that but um, yeah Stephen uh, has got in contact with us following I think it was the Brad Jerzak podcast the Christ like word Um, and uh, he uh, is a teacher on the Salvation Army's um, uh, leader training school for new pastors 
the officer school and he's there um, going into his fourth year of teaching, teaching biblical studies and doctrine. So we had some good conversation and interaction with him about kind of biblical interpretation following on from the Brad Jerzak interview. But Stephen, we just um, want to bless you mm-hmm. um, and uh, pray that the fruit of your teaching and your wisdom will uh, travel far uh, and that it will taste good wherever it may go. Um, yeah. And moving on, we've got another uh, challenge What's that? We want a listener from the US. Might be cheating, actually, because like you've already mentioned, uh, the Tampa Underground is obviously in Tampa, which is a city in the States. So we're hopefully going to get some American listeners on this. Yeah. Uh, so um, if you if you hear it and you um, yeah want to get in contact, then go to our Venture 12 podcast Facebook page, send us a message, tell us who you are, what you're doing, um, what you if if you serve in a church or what you do in your everyday life um just to just to yeah can touch base with us uh hear some stories and and just on stories it's important to say i think that this is yeah. uh an interview that is a big focus on story isn't it mm. we, a lot of our podcasts are on kind of strategy or concept or vision theology um, theology this is very very much story mm. um so vanessa and Jessica share the story of the Held Microchurch. Um, and um, yeah, they, they take us on a journey, don't they? Through yeah. some of the women they've met, some of the impact it's had uh, in their community, in their microchurch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's an important thing because when we explore mission and we want to do that through this podcast, we can do it in different ways. So theology is one way and structure and... Um, you know, tactics could be one way, but story is also a way to explore what mm. mission is and could look like in our day and age. Absolutely. Right, well, without further ado, let's get into it. Yeah. Enjoy the interview. Stick around afterwards where we'll be bringing some reflection of our own. Enjoy. Jessica and Vanessa, welcome to the Venture 12 podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, thank you yeah it's morning us. for you, isn't it? Yes, it's bright and early here in Tampa. Yeah, uh, we're so happy to have you here with us. Um, we're currently speaking from three different continents. Uh, so I think if we just start with both of you telling us something about yourselves and what you do and where you're at. Okay, so, uh, sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, my name is Jessica Stevens, and I am in Tampa, Florida. So I'm in North America currently, <laughs> um, and have been for a long time. This is where um, this is home for me. Um, married, have four kids, three are still at home. Um, my husband and I have been a part of the Underground Network since the beginning, um, and have led many home churches and micro churches throughout the years. Um, Currently, we do still have a, a home church that meets in our house, and um, we also, uh, I am also a part of the Held uh, Monica Church as well, so. Wow, thank you. That's a lot on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Vanessa? Um, yeah, so I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Um, my name is Vanessa Power, and I'm currently living in Dakar, Senegal. So I'm in uh, West Africa, on the continent of Africa. So yeah, we're in different continents, but yeah, still unified. <laughs> and I've been um, a part of the Tampa Underground movement for about 12 years now. And so while we were there, we were part of a microchurch there. And um, and we're still connected to the underground and what and they support us here as we do mission work here. Mm. So yeah. Wow. We could speak a lot about your lives. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So you both mentioned that you you're part of, of the Tampa Underground Network. And that is a network of microchurches in Tampa, Florida. Um, so we're going to talk about microchurches. We're going to talk about being a network. But also you both mentioned that the microchurch that you're both part of leading called Held. So that's we're coming to that in the end. You get to share some stories from that work. Um, 
Yeah. So why don't we start with the first question? Uh, what is a microchurch? And uh, what's the difference between that and, let's say, uh, a small group within a church? Or, yeah, what is it? Sure. Um, well, I think kind of a simple definition, we would probably say a microchurch is a worshiping community of believers that are about God's purposes. So kind of wherever two or three believers who love Jesus and worship him are about his purpose, some sort of mission in the world, um, we would call that church. Um, so maybe we're just kind of putting a different name on it, but that's, um, that's kind of our simple definition of microchurch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to add something, Vanessa, to what a microchurch is? I think she did a great job, but it does, um, it, it is something where there's a little bit more attention on the community of believers in that small unit of, uh, being missional and stirring up their gifts, figuring out their gifts for the kingdom in that small group, rather than necessarily leaning on the bigger church and the everyday, every once a week Sunday as your source for developing those relationships or community or your calling hmm. for the kingdom of what <clears throat> your gifts are. So it is just a little bit, I think they're similar and maybe they have the same traits, but perhaps um, the, the purpose of it is a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Some people often say, well, isn't it just like a small group? You know, aren't you guys just small group leaders kind of? And, and maybe, I mean, I think that small groups can be microchurches, you know, if they, you know, kind of our simple ecclesiology, like I mentioned, is just worship, community, and mission. So if a small group embodies those three things, then we would say that they are the church. Mm. Yeah. And and I guess uh, reading about all your different microchurches is very clear that mission is a very big part of um, the kind of reason why you started a lot of these microchurches. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that's not always been the case with small groups. I can only speak from my own experience that it's been hard to figure the mission bit out. Um <laughs> Sure. Yeah. A lot of times people might come to us because they already have a calling of some sort, or they already feel that maybe Jesus is asking them to reach a certain part of the city or to, um, yeah, to, to do mission in a certain way. And so a lot of times, maybe that's what predicates even the formation of a microchurch. Not always. Sometimes people don't necessarily know what their mission is. So we have many microchurches that exist in a way to help people find mission. So you know, our home church that my husband and I lead might be something like that. We don't together, we don't have a specific mission or a certain area of the city that we're trying to reach together, but we do encourage one another to find our mission. So maybe for some of our members, that's reaching out to their coworkers or it's their neighbors or, you know, it's these kids at the park or whatever, you know, um, we have different missions in different places, but we do still believe that God is calling us to be missional in some sort of a, a way yeah. and part of the reason that we gather is to encourage one another to either find that mission figure it out try to hear from jesus or do it you know hold each other accountable yeah <laughs> that way. yeah thank you that's so helpful um and i guess one question would also be why why micro why small isn't it better isn't bigger always better mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I could see why we would think that, especially as Americans. I could speak for myself. We always think that bigger is better. Um, but, you know, historically, the church has always been small. I mean, if we go back to the beginning of the church, it started out very small. And, um, you know, big church, mega church is really the anomaly. That's only in the past few generations that we've seen the emergence of these big mega type churches. Um, but historically, it's always kind of been these small groups of Christians that are doing stuff for Jesus all over the world, maybe even kind of covert sometimes, right? Um, <laughs> um, we're just, Again, we're just maybe putting a word on something. We're calling it microchurch. But if you look through history, you know, it's kind of, that's just maybe what we see that Jesus has done a lot of the time with his church. Mm. Um, it also, I think, Per, uh, allows for a more expansive ecclesiology. So, you know, if you tell someone that that church has to be worship community and mission, but it also has to be big, then it really limits who or what can 
you know, who can lead and what a church can be because you think that, oh, well, to be the church, you have to somehow be big. And by big, it could still just mean like 50 people, right? Which we might not think is a big church, but that really limits who can lead Mm -hmm. and who can, um, and what can exist (laughs) um, when you say that it has to be big. So, um, but, you know, that's not to say that big things can't be the church either. If they do love Jesus and, you know, are worshiping him and are trying to do mission, then of course they're a church as well. Of course. Yeah. 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 So Vanessa, just asking you, have you been part of a bigger church and then kind of chose the smaller expression of church or what was the journey to kind of, um, was it a big step to, to be in a, in a micro setting? Um, you know, actually it felt very natural in my own personal walk with Jesus and where I came from becoming a believer. I think I was part of a denomination that was, um, very large and had lots of requirements and a lot of regulations and rules. And and I think in my college years, I tried to pull away from that for a little bit to hear from Jesus on my own and develop my own personal walk. And so there were several years in my early Christian walk where I maybe was only attending what people would think as like a small group or, and I had a more just small amount of believers that I was living life with in community, living with them, going, um, having church with them and really speaking into each other's lives and, in, in that way. And I think then once, you know, I got married and we were as a couple, we were looking for a church, the setup of the underground felt very natural for me. Like it felt like home or what I was used to, or what I had started with as becoming a Christian and where I had initially felt more of the Holy spirit speaking to me in, in what my personal gifting was than maybe what I had heard from just attending a Sunday mm. church. So I think it was very natural for me personally to want to steer towards that since that's where a lot of my original hearing from the Lord came from. Mm. Thank you. Um, and, and so these microchurches, they're part of a, of a network. So they're all linked together with one another. And could you just say something short about what what's, was it like to be part of a network and what does the network bring to the, to the microchurch? Yeah, I think that that's an interesting question because that's probably where some of the difference comes from when your previous question and you were asking what's the difference between having a big church and then the microchurch is that the, the what we would say as the network is there and available for the microchurches in a purpose to serve them, in a purpose to support them, encourage them, offer them work workshops offer them fill in the gaps for them as they're trying to be leaders and they are leaders and lead their group of people and so i think maybe that's why it might be different because the bigger church is there to support the smaller churches rather than perhaps the reverse Mm. people are going to support the larger church and the larger maybe or even smaller group of elders boards people um, the pastoral leadership, I'm not sure how you want, would want to say it, but, um, you know, the way that we're made up with the underground in the network is that we feel like we can communicate to them, hey, this is a need, this is our gap, how can you help us fill that? And that's essentially what they do. Yeah. But what do you yeah. say, Jessica? <clears throat> yeah, the only thing that I would add is just that, um, you know, we have all these beautiful expressions of the church all over the city and they're wonderful and awesome, but they're also a little vulnerable maybe because they're small, right? So they do need help. Um, you know, small things, uh, you know, they just like children, right? Like sometimes you need to, you have to nurture them in, in some sort of way. Um, so these micro churches might have needs for say office space or coaching, or they might need to raise a little bit of money in order to, you know, do whatever it is that their mission is. So um, since every microchurch, like Vanessa was saying, is focused on mission, you know, who can help them kind of accomplish that mission? So mm-hmm. it's really the needs then of the microchurch that necessitate the infrastructure. So the microchurches come first, and then the network is formed around them to serve the needs of the microchurches. And that's what we call network. So no. for example, you know, if a microchurch needs some office space or something, the network can say, hey, we have this facility. We'll take the lease 
we have the facility, we have the copier and the internet and the desks and whatever. Don't worry about that. Just come and use our space and be together with these other microchurches. Mm. Um, that's, you know, just kind of one example, maybe of the way that yeah. the or serves the microchurch. Because there are real roadblocks that come with, you know, being a microchurch and wanting to do mission. You, all those practical things that actually the big church does really well. They, they do, they can do a lot of those things that for a person who's operating in another job or career and, you know, wanting to still do mission, isn't really always able to have ad access to those resources and those opportunities. And so having the network to be there to remove some of those obstacles and make it easier for us to do and live out the calling that we're trying to is relieving. It makes it more accessible to people. Yeah. That's really yeah. helpful. So it's both flipping the, the model upside down a little bit. Who is serving who? Right. Um, yeah, well, and also using the best out of the two different things, really. Right. Yeah, hopefully that's the idea yeah. anyway. I mean, that's the idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're all trying to work towards. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, that's helpful. I'm thinking about when you talk about all these different microchurches and I've seen the list and as a, a leader, and I think many would ask it with me, how do you think around leadership? Because you might, it looks like you need a lot of leaders. Uh, so what's been the theology and the mindset behind leadership within these microchurches to release that many leaders? Yeah, yeah. So um, I think leaders usually come to us in two different ways. Either there's people just in the city who have a missional idea already. They maybe think that Jesus is calling them to do something in the city. And um, maybe they're not 100% sure, but they think. And so they hear about us and they're like, hey, these people might actually help us or, you know, help us tease out this idea at least. So they might come to us and say, you know, I think Jesus wants me to do this thing. And we say, great you know, how can we help you with that? Um, and, and they say, you know, well, I'm not sure. And so one of the first questions we ask them is, do you want to actually be the church? Do you just want to do a missional idea, like a nonprofit, or do you actually want to be the church? Cause that's important to us. Mm. So do you want to be worship community and mission? And if they say, yeah, then, you know, we can just say, okay, so how can we help you? We do have a faith statement and some manifesto values that, you know, kind of define the area that we will help people within, if that makes sense. Um, my husband calls it the sandbox. If you want to play in our sandbox, you need to kind of agree to these boundaries. So for example, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, okay, you know, you're going to have to probably go play in a different sandbox. You're not within our boundaries. So we do have these documents, these this faith statement, these manifesto values that people um, need to agree to. But, um, you know, it, you know, after that, it's kind of like, great, how can we help you do what you think that Jesus is calling you to do? Um, another way that I think leaders come to us is maybe they're just, you know, going back to the example of my own microchurch, um, you know, we've led many iterations of that over the years. And the reason that it changes a lot of times is because people are sitting in our living room being activated in mission and all of a sudden they realize, you know what, I think Jesus is calling me to, you know, start this Bible study in this bar down the street, <laughs> you know? And so we're like, great. How can we help you? Let's, and then they become their own microchurch. Yeah. So they might come, you know, people, we call them adoptions, people coming from other places in the city or people hearing the call of Jesus, this more specific call of mission in their life when they're already a part of one of the microchurches. Yeah. Um, but yeah. really it, it centers on hearing the voice of Jesus and responding to what it is that he's calling you to do. We don't make leaders. We don't train leaders to like do something specific. We don't say, hey, you know, somebody should go reach the school. We just tell people they need to ask Jesus and listen to his voice and do what he's asking you to do. Mm. Yeah, I think what she's saying is true. They're, they can come in different forms. And then there's also a form where it can be, you know, just trying to encourage people or help people realize that there could be a gap in that they are actually able to stand in it. Like they can stand in it. You don't necessarily need to wait for somebody else to come in and do that thing that you already see as a problem. Um, and I think sometimes perhaps that's overlooked or it's not encouraged enough that um, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He is enabling you. You are a leader. 
because of that. So, you know, maybe you haven't ever led something and that's okay. And maybe the network can help support you in that. There's lots of trainings, lots of information, lots of mentors, people to disciple you in that way. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not the person who should be doing that thing. If you've seen it and you're aware of it, I think the underground is trying to encourage you, then you maybe should be that person to stand in that gap rather than waiting for somebody else to, to fill it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and starting with the gift that, that Jesus has given that person instead of, as you say, we need this perfect worship band and we need these brilliant preachers and like not so many people can live up to the standard we think is needed. Mm-hmm. The, so, so starting with the, with the individual and the passion, that sounds what? It's more natural too. It's more natural if you have a passion or you, you've seen something, you've been watching this incidence or this marginalized people group or something for a long time. You have investment in it. You have interest in it. Instead of somebody just coming in and then trying to fill that role, you don't have longevity with that. There's, it's mm-hmm. not as sustainable as somebody who's been there, lived in that that zip code for a lot of years has history with all the people on the block. It's the most natural person than you are the most natural person to stand in and lead a group for that area. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's helpful. Um, so I'm thinking for the last questions around um, the micro churches and the network, what's been, do you want to share something about the fruit you've seen um, through through your work in the last years and also some of the challenges maybe what you've seen God been doing um well I think that it's it's there's always been moments I mean we've been doing this for over 10 years and so there's always moments in that season where there's more fruits and less fruits and it can be difficult to want to judge that season of like whether it was successful or unsuccessful by the amount of um, you know, either people who came to Jesus or who we were able to show great fruits from. I think that, yes, did we have success? Yeah, there's lots of women who uh, had been, had come to us after and said, wow, you know, I was really lonely and vulnerable during that time. And you really filled a gap for me. Um, and I felt the presence of Jesus when you were with us. And, and, you know, lots of those moments, but it is, I think, a lot for us is just that continuous obedience to Jesus in, in working that out. And however, however amount of women we have that year or lack of amount of women we have that year is just continuing to be available um, and persevere and continuing to do what we feel like Jesus still wants us to do. So, I mean, um, I don't know if that answered your question well, but <laughs> that there are lots of seasons of up and, ups and down. And yes, I mean, it, it's one, you know, being a doula is a wonderful opportunity. I wish more people knew about it. I think maybe people are starting to know about it more, but uh, supporting a woman during her childbirth experience in her prenatal experience is, um, is an honor because women uh, can be there, especially if you have, you're single and you're alone and you don't have anyone there supporting you can be a very vulnerable time and a very scary time. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's just this way you can get to know a woman very quickly without really needing to have a lot of background relationship with them. And there's few opportunities that you have to do that. Other times it can take years to build a relationship with someone where they feel open and connected to you. Uh, But when you experience childbirth with someone, there's an instant connection there. And people remember us years later, sometimes, even if we don't always remember their names, we'll remember their situation, but they'll say, remember me, you know, I can remember everything about you. And so it is just a very special time hmm. to, to walk with a woman. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's helpful to think of fruit, as you said in the beginning, to not judge what you do through um, always the success, but the faithfulness, uh, yeah. to what you feel called to do. Do you want to add something about uh, the the fruit in general in microchurches, Jessica? Sure. Um, I just think that, you know, one of the commonalities that Vanessa just mentioned too for all microchurch leaders is that at some point you get to a place where you just want to quit. 
right? Like you get to a place where this is hard. You doubt that you actually heard Jesus's voice. Um, and you're just wondering, like, can, am I the right person for this? Should I keep doing this? Like, this is really hard. People are messy. Ministry yeah, life is so complicated, you know, uh, whatever, whatever. It's cost you something a lot of times, it's right? There is sacrifice involved. Yeah. yeah. So I think one of the fruits, the unexpected fruits that um, maybe I've experienced in my life and I've seen in other microchurch leaders too, is the, the, um, the camaraderie maybe that you have with other microchurch leaders because of the network that when you're going through that low point and you're able to talk to another microchurch leader and um, you hear them say, yeah, me too. Or you hear them, you know, share their story of wanting to quit. Or you're able to look someone in the eye and say, yeah, that sucks. But Jesus, yeah. <laughs> remember, you know, <laughs> um, so just having that, that kind of relationship with other microchurch leaders has been one of the biggest joys, I think, for me um, personally, just speaking personally um, over the years to know that I'm not alone in the city trying to, um, you know, be missional or to love women that are maybe hard to love at points or, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, but that there's other people, my friends, so-and-so, or this other person, I know that they're down the street in that strip club trying to minister to women mm. or my other friends in that school trying to mentor middle school girls or my other friend is, you know, whatever, I'm trying to be faithful, having a Halloween outreach for her neighbors, you know, down the block or whatever. Like there's just that camaraderie. Yeah. which is, I think, just an unexpected fruit that I didn't expect, um, you know, when we first started out years ago. Um, but then, you know, I just think so. There, that's like a missionary growth, right? Like your own discipleship. But then obviously, you know, to see women, um, you know, come to know Jesus, um, middle school girls that, you know, never heard the gospel and then, you know, are now in college and, leading small groups, <laughs> you know, through campus ministry and, you know, just things like that, that you've been able to see over the year, the actual fruit that lasts. Um, mm. it, it is a joy, you know, it is. Um, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, Vanessa, you mentioned a bit about held there when you talked about doulas and, and childbirth. Could you please um, just tell us more? What What is the microchurch that you're part of leading, both of you? Uh, a church called Held. What is it? Sure. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, well, a doula is someone who advocates and supports um, a woman during their uh, pregnancy and during their labor and even postpartum uh, afterwards. And so what we add to that, though, we do offer spiritual support with that. So we believe that um, even in the, mir the, in the miracle of birth, like there is a spiritual experience that happens there and it's a unique opportunity to help others recognize exactly what's happening. And, and again, with that vulnerability that happens, people are very open and aware and a lot of your defenses come down <laughs> during birth in the childbirth experience because it is uh, it is miraculous and uh, like I said it's very spiritual and so to be in that moment with them and we we try to um, target our population to women who are somehow marginalized either single teen moms um, somebody who is just maybe lacks birth support in general because you know, when you're um, in poverty, it can, you know, even if you have a birth partner, can that birth partner leave their job that they have no vacation time from to go and spend 24 plus hours with you at the hospital and labor with you? And, you know, they're wonderful nurses and wonderful um, doctors, but they can't offer you always continuous support in the way that a doula can. Um, and so reminding the women that we are with that they aren't alone and that when they need prayer in some of their um, difficult moments that they, they can have it and we can offer them that. And just even we offer birth education, um, you know, <laughs> there's a huge problem in America with um, people of various um, ethnicities, especially our uh, African-American community, having um, trauma during birth and death during birth, the prevalence is very high. And a lot, and it's hard to understand exactly where that root comes from. It comes from, I think, from a lot of areas, but we do do our best to then at least remove the educational piece out of it and the support aspect, um, advocacy 
um, part out of it too. So that if you can be with um, a woman who is more at risk for death during childbirth, then we're helping to save her life in that way. So, you know, we, we try to, now we see other moms who are maybe just looking for a doula, but um, we do try to make sure that our services are primarily being used for women who are um, in the most need. Yeah. Jess can probably add some to that too, but yeah, just yeah. say something else. I mean, I think Vanessa did a great job just kind of explaining. I think, um, you know, part of our story, like part of the reason that we started and we felt like Jesus was calling us to this is because we all are moms, right? So we've all had that experience of giving birth in a hospital and um, not that any of us necessarily had bad experiences, but I think there was something sparked specifically in Vanessa where it was just like, man, can you imagine going through this process alone? Because we have great husbands and, you know, great support and families and all of that. But can you imagine like trying to navigate the system um, and and not having that, maybe not having educational resources or or like she was saying, you know, family partner support mm. um, or not being able to speak the language too. There's just a certain sort of language that's spoken in the birth world. And if you're unfamiliar with that, I mean, I remember that I'm college educated and I remember that with my first birth, <laughs> you know, like what are they talking about? What's happening right now? Um, they just, you know, tend to use words and, um, and not necessarily explain um, exactly what's happening. Um, but can you imagine you're trying to have to go through that? And then if you're feeling uncomfortable, or you're feeling, you know, a certain way about the experience that you're having, trying to then bond with your baby, you know, there's been studies that are done that when you feel like maybe your birth has been traumatic, or you haven't been supported well, during, um, during birth, you have a harder time you know, bonding with your baby, yes. which can That's have true. effects long into long that child's, you know, uh, childhood. So, you know, I think that we, because we had kind of walked through that system ourselves several times, um, and maybe it was Jesus that kind of put those questions into Vanessa's heart in particular, and she started talking about them. We're just kind of like, yeah, you know, like that is a place where Jesus could like people, Jesus people, could maybe actually really feel feel a need in this place, not worried so much about the medical stuff that's going on. There's professionals there that do an excellent job of medical care. But what about the spiritual? What about the emotional, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And even what about the physical care of these moms so that they feel supported and loved, um, mm -hmm. you know, and taken care of while they're going through one of the most vulnerable times of their lives. Um, and then hopefully have then the security to be able to bond well with their baby um yes you know after mm. that mm. yeah i think it's such a fresh pioneering way of looking at what church could be um that we get to stand in that gap um between maybe the lonely mum and you know just filling that space and inviting jesus in that moment um it's very inspiring i think to hear yeah, there's sometimes where we'll be at birth and, you know, the mom is very capable or she has partners. And, and what we do is pray. We sit in the corner and we tell moms ahead of time too, like, if you don't need us and all you want us to do is stand in the corner and pray and intercede, you know, for Jesus to be in this space and for things, you know, whatever, like, we're happy to do that because we do believe that this is a spiritual place, you know, and that, that we're welcoming Jesus into it. And, we want this to, you know, go well for you and for your baby. And so there's been births that we've been at, that that's, that's been our primary role, which yeah. we're honored, honored to do. Um, yeah. I mean, there's and, lots of touch and go moments at a birth, you know, it can go from a high to low to up and it can leave a woman feeling on, um, you know, scared or, you know, helpless a little. And we want to enable her to feel in control and we want to enable her to feel like she's making decisions um, that she agrees with and she fully understands, but then also be there to intercede for her in those moments where maybe she doesn't know what she wants to say and offering her a prayer or, um, you know, you know, a hand to hold and things like that can help her feel more secure in her decision. So, I mean, if that's all it is, we have no other, we have no agenda as doulas in order to be in there and, you know, take control or do, you know, that's not our culture. I think maybe there's other doulas out there that have a different 
goal for the birth. And our goal is to really just be there as needed in, in whatever aspect that means. Mm. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, would you end with just a story each maybe of some a, a story a mum a birth or something that has been significant for you and your work with held if you want to share a part of that journey um, okay I guess yeah well we had you know we've had instances um where we were able to help mom who was you know previously living in a um a homeless shelter for pregnant women and, you know, and she really was birthing alone. And, um, you know, through that time of leading into, you know, having offering her birth education and really just a friend through it. Um, cause she really, really was alone. Um, we were able to, you know, develop a friendship with her after to support her and her baby and, um, where she felt like she had somebody she could ask to pray for her about with things and make decisions. And it, it did turn into even now today, a longstanding relationship that we otherwise wouldn't have had. I'm not sure what circumstance that would have happened. Um, so, you know, I think that was a really interesting situation where we were able to really develop a relationship with her through that. Mm. Thank you. What about yeah. you? Yeah. yeah, developing relationships that last beyond birth. I think, yeah, exactly. it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, there's another mom that, um, you know, we've been able to work with. I, I think that one of the joys for me in doing held is feeling like, I think you mentioned it before, um, you know, just being able to stand in gaps. So sometimes that gap looks like, you know, providing resources and education before birth, um, which I think that it feels, it feels really good to do that. Um but then, um, you know, to be able to do that and then be in the birth room with someone where they remember something that you have, um, that you went through before. Oh, this is what you were talking about when you were talking about transition or whatever, um, which is really, it's, I mean, it's just fun to like, cause I love birth and love all of that stuff. It's like, oh yeah, this is great. Um, but then also, you know, to have a relationship with women, um, I'm thinking of one in particular where, you know, it's like we're explaining what our services are and, you know, doing the whole, you know, prenatal care and stuff like that. But also saying, you know, we do provide services. We are Jesus people and we do want to, um, you know, offer spiritual support too while you're in the birth room. And, you know, moms can be kind of standoffish at the beginning, you know, like, okay, yeah, that's cool. You know, like maybe they're just not, they're not Christians or whatever. And so they're just not thinking that they're going to need that, you know, when they're in the birth room. But then, you know, when, when stuff starts hitting the fan and things get intense, which they often do during birth, not always, but often, you know, and they turn to you and they say, will you pray now? Will mm -hmm. you please pray for me? Um, there's just something about that too, that it's like, oh, wow, people, you know, they do, they do know in those desperate moments that they need to turn to something bigger than themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and for us to say, yeah, that's Jesus. Jesus is the one that you want to turn to in those moments where you feel out of control or where you don't know what to do like jesus is the one that we need to ask for help in these moments um that to me is a win as well i feel like okay if i wasn't here right now or if we hadn't had that conversation before you gave birth then you might not be thinking about jesus or trying to call on him right now and then to have those conversations after we usually try to get together with moms you know after they've given birth to debrief and to you know, just care for them and check on them and things like that, see how we can support them going forward. But to be able to call back to that and say, yeah, Jesus did show up for you, didn't he? Jesus did take care of you, didn't he? Yeah, the nurses and the doctors, they're great. But but Jesus was there too, I think, you know, this birth is a miracle. Look what Jesus has done for you, you know, and to be able to frame, you know, such an amazing experience in that Christian worldview um, for people, I think is an, an amazing gift that hopefully, like Vanessa mentioned, you know, it goes with them for the rest of their lives. You know, I, I hope <laughs> some yeah. women we don't get to see, it we don't get to does. have, yeah, we don't get yeah. to have long-term relationships with them. Um, you know, after they, you know, give birth, they go back to whatever situation they were in. And sometimes there's no room for us in their lives. Um, and it was just for that season and that's okay. Um, but, you know, we just hope and pray that, 
you know, they remember that yeah. at least Jesus is with them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is, it is like Jess said, such a neat thing that childbirth does imprint this memory in your brain. We were just doing a study. Um, we were just taking a course together and it was researching, um, you know, how well a person can articulate their birth experience at the age of 60 and then 70 and then 80. And that even at, you know, an older age, as old as 80, like they could actually re, you know, remember details, very specific things about their birth and their feeling and the emotion they had connected to that is still very imprinted into their mind. So if you have that opportunity, I love the way that just put that, that yes, that if we can continue to lean that towards Jesus and redirect that miracle that happened that we know was because of Jesus, but if they don't see it as that, you know, they're remembering how they felt comforted or, you know, maybe Jesus came to them in their rescue in that moment, mm. you know? So. Yeah. yeah. There are few moments in life that's so intense and where you actually, you know, you're fully present in some way, even if you sometimes yeah. Yeah. somewhere else yeah. as well. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Definitely. thank you. Thank you so much for sharing those stories and thank you for sharing all the great wise thoughts that you have on church and especially Jesus. I love how you point, point to Jesus in the things that you do. Um, so thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, sure. Welcome back everybody hope you enjoyed that interview hannah thank you for bringing that to us yeah you're welcome. having that time with them um question we usually ask uh, on the start of these reflection periods after the interview is uh to the person doing the interview uh how was it how did you feel uh, was there anything that uh grabbed you whilst you were in that conversation i loved having that conversation with vanessa and jessica i think they're very brave women I get. I felt very inspired after speaking to them. Mm. I struggled to. I was like bussing in the house after the yeah. interview, just feeling like I found friends yeah. uh, on mission, even if I'm not at all doing the same thing. But just you know, friends, anyways. Yeah. Um, and I think they spoke really well. Yeah, they did. And I mean, uh, there's just loads to unpack from it, isn't there? I mean. There's kind of like the wider, bigger questions around microchurch, and and I mean, that for many people listening, and for for me when I listen to it, I mean, if I'd have just seen that group and what they do, would I have connected that and named it or labelled it as a church? Mm. And so there's big big questions around kind of like a church. Mm. What is a church? And and we can get into some of that, but. Before we kind of get into the broader vision network in all those kind of conversations, um, let's just talk about Held for a yeah. moment, the the, the uh, micro church that they presented to us. Yeah. Um, I mean, what an amazing ministry they have. It is, and it's very, you know, creative to think of church like that. And as you say, I think for. For me, for example, that's had the experience of church being something you go to in a building, especially on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. You do s- certain things <laughs> in a certain order. The difference between that and being in a, uh, a room with a woman giving birth, mm. naming that as church, it mm. is vitally, yeah. you know, it's mm. different. Yeah. Uh, but they do talk about the uh, ecclesial minimum that mm. the Tampa Underground is naming to be mission worship and community yeah and if we use those three tags and put them on held and we don't know now what jessica and vanessa would say um but we can have a discussion (laughs) what do we see in this church from their stories yeah well i think that that's really good that they've got kind of like these defining terms the ecclesial minimum was it yeah yeah and that's a great term as well so what what is the minimum in order to be a micro church which i guess is kind of the the um, structure that they use when yeah. when forming these new yeah, churches. Yeah, and they say if we take away everything else, what yeah. are the things that yeah. we cannot live without? Yeah. And like you just said, just to go through those again, that's worship, which is the upward relationship with God, praise, honour, giving him yeah. glory, being in communication with him. 
community, which is our relationship with one another, Mm. uh, our church fellowship, our neighbours, whoever that may be, um, and then mission, Mm. your calling based on your own gifts and and i mean that's another question around leadership isn't it like you uh, in in terms of micro churches it just activates so many people based on their own mission their own calling yeah um so within held i mean where do we see those three components yeah i think the mission part is very obvious Mm. so their the target group is um they're really filling a gap especially around they talked about teenage mums marginalized mums uh, Afro-American mums, which apparently in the US is suffering from a lot more dramatic traumas through childbirth than other mm. parts of the population. Uh, and to support them and advocate for that group, I mean, they talk about actually minimising the risk of death. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Jesus came to bring life. Yeah. Um, so we, I think we can see the mission part very clearly yeah. in the church. Yeah. And where do where do we see community then within held? I think the way I don't know if we talked about that off podcast or on podcast, but how their longing is to to journey with these women mm. through life, really. And some women might not want that, and some women might stick around. Um, so it's a long term community, but it's also community in the room yeah. or during the pregnancy yeah. that you share something, you walk side yeah. by side, mm. and worship. They did talk a lot about prayer, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah they were prayer warriors. Yeah, so so I mean, according to the Tampa Underground Ecclesial Minimum, they're definitely fulfilling the worship, the community and the mission aspects of what it is that the church is called to be. Mm. So if we kind of move away from held and just think about that as a, a concept or a, or a, a, a minimum for us in terms of thinking about churches and what it is, I mean... I mean, church, as we know, as we've grown up with, is, I mean, you, you never kind of, it's interesting to hear people talk about the minimum because so often we're drawn to the maximum, Yeah. aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just wonder what, what kind of change it would be if we kind of did think, what's what's the minimum? Not in terms of our minim, minimum of our own service or the minimum of no, our exactly. own giving or the minimum of our own mission, but in terms of the minimum of let's draw it back to what back the to early basic. church is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, what 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 does that look like for us here in Europe, us in Sweden? Yeah, I think people are tired of complicated church, aren't we? Mm. And it's it easily becomes complicated. Yeah. Uh, and they talk about the difference between the big church and the small church. And the big church is good in many ways, but one of the downsides of the big church is the, the how complicated it can get. Um, so I think, you know, just packing the bag lighter, yeah, free, being freer to listen to God's voice, mm. um, changing when that's needed, mm. not having the heavy machine, you yeah. know, like I think there's a lot of, um, and even, even if we do lots of things and that might be good sometimes to have a lot of things on, but knowing at the core of who we are, what's the most important here. Yeah. What are the things that we cannot, um, you know, compromise on? Yeah, I think that's good for a big church and a small church. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm also reflecting as well, just on how I've read quite a bit about Tampa Underground, but I mean, just the amount of um, possibilities or the amount of um, what's the word I'm looking for? The amount of um, uh, areas that you can kind of operate and reside in if you kind of do strip it back to the minimum mm-hmm. and see that you can have church in the simplest form um, in these in this kind of network format through worship, community and mission. I mean, it would just open up an entirely new range of possibilities to share the gospel yeah. in all parts of society, all parts of community. Yeah, yeah, because it, it is hard sometimes to if we would think of worship as only a worship band and uh, a corner where people get prayed for mm. then it's hard to bring that to any other place than yeah. actually our own buildings yeah. well i don't think you'd even fit a whole band in a labor room anyway no <laughs> so i mean we, we do Maybe we should to, try that yeah. <laughs> uh, we do need to to think around those things like yeah. what 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 is it really and how can that be done in um, in different 
waste in different places yeah to meet new people yeah uh you asked a really good question as well um i think it was a bit of a provoking question um but you you asked the question but isn't bigger always better (laughs) yeah i mean Uh, parts of me think that still but it was a provoking question (laughs) yeah yeah and uh i mean where do you where do you land on that um, I think one of the things they said that stuck with me was just that the big churches limits who can lead them. Mm. And that's something we've been, you know, battling with or battling, exploring here in Helsingborg. Yeah. Just how, um, and they they said even 50 people is quite a big thing to lead mm. uh, for, for many people, most people. Um, and just how that limits the call on some people that you know that might not be their thing to lead a machine like that um but they might have a different calling and just you know freeing people into to leadership yeah and ministry Mm. i think um in that way bigger isn't better yeah bigger is really hard Mm. in in leading Mm. And we've spoken about this as well. I can't remember which podcast it was in, but we spoke about kind of like uh, solo versus plural leadership and those kind of things. And I mean, there are risks and there are anxieties that come with that in terms of releasing leadership and Mm. kind of giving it away rather than counting how many people are coming to my thing, start to count how many people am I sending uh, and releasing into leadership and calling. It's obviously sounds like a great way to lead Mm. but it also comes with risk and fragility yeah and that's where they talk about the network Mm. being something that supports and strengthens these smaller vulnerable not always vulnerable but quite often vulnerable expressions of church because they're small um and they might be venturing out to something new yeah um so the network in the tampa underground model is there to empower them train them Mm. fill the gap for them and to celebrate when they do something new, I think. Exactly. To to kind of just give, to, to encourage people to go and take a risk uh, and yeah. perhaps it doesn't work out, but, but just kind of like breaking that mould of giving something a go for the first time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, trying to listen to the call of God on your life. Yeah. And take that step. Yeah. Hmm. And I think Vanessa or Jessica said that when talking about big churches, that big is really their anomaly. Mm. That if we look through history and we look through the early church and even, you know, it's just in the recent, I don't know, 50 years, Mm. (laughs) I'm guessing here, that big has become Mm. um, the goal. goal. Uh, So small churches is really not that out there as we think it might be now. Um, Well... uh have, we, have you got any other reflections before we give uh, out our questions that we that we usually put out there? I thought it was interesting when they spoke about the difference between small groups and microchurches, because mm. I think that could be a question I would have, and maybe some listeners as well. Just like, but isn't it just we know small groups? You yeah. know, yeah. is this a new thing? Yeah. And as they say, they say, like, yeah, it might not be a new thing. It might be something we already know. But I do think that um, when I look at the list of the microchurches they have, Mm. um, and we know that, you know, they're not perfect. It's not like we're idolizing them. But mission is really at the core of what they are. Yeah, exactly. And um, small groups easily becomes inward focused. Yeah. And it's a hard kind of pattern mm. to break. Yeah. Um, so and I perhaps think re- they're perhaps more reliant on the larger church that they're part of yeah, to take, to take care of the mission. Yeah. Whereas these are kind of like, they are independent in terms of that they're their own uh, decentralized churches, but they've got, as you said, that really great equipping and resourcing hub there to strengthen and empower yeah. each of the groups. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's an interesting question to discuss with someone maybe yeah if you're part of a small group yeah um what would it look like for this small group to become a micro church yeah are we fulfilling the ecclesial minimum yeah if we would want that yeah well well that's good i mean let's put some questions out there before Mm. we bring it to a close um so the questions that we're going to put out and this like we always say 
Uh, if you're listening to this on your own and you want to interact with us, then please feel free to do so across our social media platforms. But otherwise, we'd really love for you to listen to this in groups, actually. So in team or yeah. in friendship groups or whoever it may be, um, grab someone and make them listen <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and just reflect over and discuss these uh, questions. So the first one is, what have you heard? What was new or challenging? What was provoking? And then more specifically, uh, in regards to this podcast and this interview, what is the, the, the form of church that I'm currently in? What is the ecclesial minimum there? And how over how far over that minimum do we actually operate? Um, and also, just that question that you've just asked as well, Hannah, about small groups. Like, what would this look like to be a micro church, or how would this small group become more missional? What is the mission of this small group? Mm. Uh, and then, of course, just uh, we would just encourage you to continually just reflect and pray over your own calling, your own mission. Uh, Maybe become in your a life. doula. Maybe become a doula. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, yeah we just pray that this will be uh, yeah provoking inspiring challenging for for anyone listening Um, hope you've enjoyed it and we'll catch you again for uh, episode number six yeah take care take care bye